Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 263 on Tuesday, the 25th of June, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Uh, no Andrew tonight. Uh, last minute domestic emergency means that he's not able to join me, so I'm very, very sorry. You've just got my dulcet tones all on my lonesome. Yeah, so what's coming up tonight? Uh, well, the PR seem to be taking another holiday off. It's been awfully quiet on the news front, uh, unless you want an electrified BMW, by the way. Uh, BMW is, is desperately, desperately telling us about all this electrification stuff today. Uh, all the other outlets are covering that, so we're not going to, but lots and lots of electric, uh, electric BMW news are there. But as well as that, there's an old friend rearing its ugly diesel fumy head. Uh, we'll be uh, chatting about how naming something really does matter. Well, I said we'll be chatting. Uh, I'll be chatting. And we find out who are the top rising stars in the car industry. But first follow-up and uh, yeah a dieselgate story tonight then this one's a quite unusual one uh, a Prague district court has ruled that a number of uh, Czech owners of a Skoda and a Volkswagen and a pop-up advert there we go uh, Skoda and a Volkswagen qualify uh, for 23.3 million dollars or 533 million crowns between them in compensation uh, for linked to, of course, a Dieselgate. A suit was filed by a group called Safe Safe Diesel on behalf of 2,435 different people in the Czech Republic. It's all very strange because, of course, here here in Europe, uh, Volkswagen uh, Volkswagen Group uh, haven't knowingly actually broken any laws. Uh, And Yes, uh, these people managed to push. They, of course, Safe Diesel is claiming a victory, saying they managed to push through the same compensation uh, deal as in the United States, which is true. That's why it's, it's quite so high. Uh, the thing is that the ruling was dated on March 22nd, hadn't been released until now, uh, and the reason the compensation demand was upheld without a court hearing uh, was because uh, Skoda's parent company, Volkswagen Group. Uh, didn't object to it. Uh, there were no demand. Uh, there were no objections to any of the demands uh, following a deadline set by the court. So, yes, uh, Volkswagen says it. It believes that the ruling will be over, overruled and the action dismissed. It says we consider the judgments to be defective in law and will appeal against them. Although you would have think thought that they would have done that sooner, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but yes, there we go. Um, that's what's happening. So that's that's uh, that's a compensation, an owner compensation uh, ruling in the EU uh, against Volkswagen on Dieselgate. Although mostly because Volkswagen doesn't seem to have defended it at all. Uh, next up is Nissan and the uh, the Alliance. I used to joke about it being called the Rebel Alliance, but quite frankly, it's it's sort of it's even looser than that now. Uh, but key among but the key actor in forming the alliance, Carlos Ghosn, of course, um, has lost his last seat at Mitsubishi Motors. So this was his last remaining board position. Uh, he was chairman. Uh, however. Uh, Osamu Matsuko, uh, Mitsubishi Motors CEO, has stepped in to take over as uh, as 
as chairman. So yes, go now not chairman of any part of uh, chairman or an actor in any part of the uh, the alliance. Uh, there's another story on a similar topic out this week, and that's the Japanese government uh, played a hand in um, did actually play a hand in the breakdown of the the Renault FCA talks uh, earlier in the year. I was going to say earlier in the month, but I can't look out if it's longer ago than that or shorter ago. Never mind. Uh, so not so long ago, <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, Japan, uh, the Japanese government signaled its its misgivings, according to this automotive news Europe story, uh, to the French government. Anyway, that's enough follow up. So let's move on to some new news, and first amongst which is about is about the SMMT. And no, it's not that time of the month just yet. I think that's going to be next week. Uh, but the SMMT and the CAAM, so that's the Chinese Association of Automobile Manufacturers, uh, and of course the Society of Motor Manufacturing Traders. But you all knew that anyway. Uh, have have come to an arrangement to join forces in uh, what's being seen by the SMMT, admittedly, as a landmark agreement. And there's no way their PRs would would ever want to to big up what they're doing. Probably a very good idea to tie up with with China uh, here here in the UK, uh, given given that as many ties, as many uh, cross-border agreements as we can possibly have, it's pretty good before the end of October right at the minute. Uh, And with the increased amount of investment by Chinese automobile makers uh, in the UK, then that this makes makes an awful lot of sense. If you're wondering just what that investment is, well then, regular listeners of course will know that Geely Geely owns Lotus, Uh, SAIC who own MG, uh, have a technical centre in the UK, and have had since 2005. A Chang'an Automobile have an R&D centre and a powertrain development centre here, and have had for since 2010. Of course, Geely uh, owns, owns Lotus and uh, LEVC, the London Electric Vehicle Company, who just unveiled a van as well. By the way, I noticed that's. I should have remembered to stick that one in the list. Um, yes, LEVC. Um, as well as that BYD, uh, Build Your Dreams uh, will be will be rolling out electric buses in London in partnership with Alexander Dennis, the Falkirk-based bus manufacturer. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense to be to be tying tying together. And of course, everybody's made fantastically positive statements uh, on both sides. But I think that that is a very good and positive thing. We jump now to Wales, just. Uh, and the M4, uh, a bunch of 50 mile an hour limits that were put in place temporarily uh, to uh, to improve air quality around about Newport, Port Talbot, Pontypridd, etc. were put in place there to try and cut nitrogen and dioxide levels. Uh, they've now been they've now been made permanent as as the best way of doing that. Uh, personally, uh, I think that nitrogen dioxide levels are. are pretty far down the list on things that are wrong with Newport but uh, but there we go having spent some time there for for work but uh, but yeah so those 50 mile an hour limits are now um, are now permanent and move on to another court case now and this one's from Jalopnik uh, and it's it's a little odd 
and it's a little odd on many, many levels. So the title of the story is Volkswagen wins copyright battle against daughter of the designer of the original Beetle in confusing decision. And this, this I really would have tagged to Andrew, to be perfectly frank. Court in Germany has decreed that the daughter of the designer of the original Beetle, who worked on it whilst working for Volkswagen, is not entitled to any compensation from Volkswagen because of the use of her father's design in the final generation, so 2012 and onwards, version of the Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah, I'm as confused as you are at this point. Okay? Uh, essentially, this chap, Erwin uh, Commender, worked for, for Ferdinand Porsche and did a number of, number of, uh, number of, of projects for them, uh, including the, the Auto Union Grand Prix car and all sorts of bits and pieces, and the original the original design for the people's car uh, of a small aerodynamic vehicle with the with the engine in the rear got revised lots and lots of times from that first one right the way through into some of the original um, patent designs uh, for for the actual the what became the, the sort of very first uh, Volkswagen Beetles now the weirdness of all of this is that I don't understand how how when he worked for Volkswagen that there can be any challenge against Volkswagen then using that shape on and on and on. And the thing is that the very original shapes of the first Volkswagen Beetles weren't actually that uh, weren't actually that um, that different from uh, you know some of the early Tatras. Uh, and even some Mercedes and so on and, and so forth. And that the 2012, the final version, which looks more like a coupe, and is, by the way, completely different because, of course, the engine's at the front and it's front-wheel drive and it sits on a golf platform and all this kind of stuff, is how any of that can act, how the daughter of the guy that designed the first one can try and shame it. Because you're out of copyright, you're out of all the different patent laws, you're out of all the, those kind of things. It's just very, very strange. Not just that, but Volkswagen hasn't really cracked down on use of the Beetle's shape, generally. So, it's not even... because, you know, that original copyright of the design hasn't been defended at all. So there's no copyright to, to claim against it. There's not really a patent thing to claim against it. It's all very, very weird. There is an excellent... Um, in the comments to this Jalopnik article, Jalopnik article of course will be linked in the show notes, uh, 42 CRMO4 has written a rather excellent response which tried to run through it and the TLDR version that he's included says that they apparently tried to cross between patent design and copyright laws and lost because A the claims have expired and B the new Beetle is a golf. So do take a little bit of a read um, of of the Jalopnik article, it's uh, it's a Tochinsky one, so it's it's all it's, it's it's pretty good. One last story before guilt minute, and Andrew's gonna be kicking himself that he's not here for this one, uh, because the IIHS, that's the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, in the U.S. Uh, has found that drivers misunderstand Tesla's autopilot capabilities because of its name. Now, this will come as news to practically, oh, none of our listeners. 
because you've all heard us on this one. Um, it's not just autopilot that's uh, it's not just autopilot that's guilty of this, of course. Uh, Nissan's ProPilot Assist, which of course isn't sold here in Europe, Cadillac Super Cruise, which is advertised as hands-free driving according to Automotive News, and BMW's Driving Assistant Plus. Supposedly, 48% of the people surveyed, uh, which was over 2,000 people surveyed, thought it would be safe to take one's hands off the wheel whilst using the system. "Quote unquote." Six uh, percent thought it would be ta- safe to take a nap. There were significant percentages thought it was safe to look at the scenery, read books, use the phones, all these kind of things. All the terms and all the names basically mean people think that uh, self-assist uh, drivers driver try again. All the names basically mean that people assume that driver assist technology. Uh, is far more advanced than it really is. Yeah, many, uh, you know, that we've we've seen videos of of people uh, sleeping at the wheel of Tesla for thirty miles on the interstate. Um, we we all know the stories of people who have been not necessarily paying attention uh, in in vehicles on on autopilot and, and finding themselves under trucks and then not really very alive anymore. So yeah, we do have to be careful about that. And please do remember about it. You've there's got to be a better, clearer way of explaining to people in very short terms just how much any of these systems can actually do for you. Andrew not being here means you've been probably been spared a massive rant at that point, uh, but I'm not going to spare you any of Guilt Minute. Uh, the point in the show will remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button uh, right there on the front page. If you're already a patron, thank you so very much. We really do appre- appreciate every single cent uh, that comes our way. Uh, it does make a huge difference. Of course, we understand not everyone has the ability to do that, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice. If you've done all that, you rock. Um, but how's about costing a friend who you think would enjoy this and telling them all about the show? For some reason, you don't actually subscribe. How's about doing so for free using a free podcasting app? Uh, making sure that we uh, drop into your, drop onto your device of choice, uh, every single time we release a show, without the anxiety and worry that you might miss out on a hot automotive news take, or even just listen to the news show. Anyhow, next up, next up is the Formula E Burn E Prix. Now, whilst I am sitting in a hotel room in Bern, which is why there is a bit of an echo, because there is a traditionally Swiss approach to soft furnishings. Uh, in here, in that there are none. Uh, then, uh, then I confess I wasn't paying much attention to the Burn E Prix. Uh, nothing intentional, nothing against it, but I was sort of a couple of hundred miles away from here, watching motorsport of a very different kind uh, all weekend. I I wanted to do this week. I wanted to go and do a, a silly bit of recording and go to the circuit and go, uh, you know, I'm standing here where cars have been and now there is a Swiss person crossing the road and all that kind of stuff. But much of the circuit uh, is about, oh, about a mile and a half from here. So I'm up sort of above the, the sort of, if you're watching it, you'll have seen that there's a kind of um, 
uh, on the bend of the river there's a kind of bit that sticks out uh, and that the Ypres was up 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 the uh, up on the hill opposite that and I'm sort of at the far end of that bit that was sticking out up there um, I went down last night uh, and even tonight and, and bits are still closed off so it's not actually possible to really get right round the circuit or to go around the circuit and I was going to walk it tonight but uh, I sort of a combination of lack of time and it being 32 degrees outside uh, and sticky at the same time meant that I'm afraid I I was a terrible terribly lazy and, and didn't didn't do it and that and the fact that I knew by then that I had to be back here to make sure I actually had read all of the stories not just about half of the stories but Bernie Pre seems to very much be a one-off, despite the fact that there's lots of trams that are all in formerly livery and all sorts of bits and pieces. And they closed down quite a lot of the old city of Bern uh, by the looks of it. I mean, some of the key areas around about the astronomical clock and stuff to, to enable access and all sorts of things down around the river. Um, but it's meant to be very much a one-off. Uh, there's no Ypres for Switzerland in next year's calendar. They're talking about maybe Geneva or maybe Zurich uh, the year after both of which are both of which are also incredibly pretty cities I don't know if you've seen but especially this trip and at this time of year this is a gorgeous little city I mean it's it's as dull as Ditchwater to be perfectly honest but it is absolutely gorgeous um, that said it looks like the race wasn't as dull as Ditchwater first turn uh, triggered red flags uh, um, and stopping the race when far too many cars crashed on the way into turn one right up at the top of the hill. Lots of Formula E drivers saying, well, you know, it was not a good place for the start to be. And officials coming back and saying, well, yes, but there's nowhere else really. And some people are saying start fitting line should have been on the uphill section up past the, um, I've forgotten the correct name for it, the bear pit, uh, which is the area in the park where the bears are because Burn is named after a bear and sorry, silly history. Um so so yeah, people are saying maybe on that uphill would have been the right place to have it. As it was, it was too short a run into far too tight a corner. A typical Formula E incredibly tight tight track. It pushed the start right back and then there was a a, a lot of discussion uh, about where drivers should have been uh, on that restart. That said, that said, a lot, uh, lots of the drivers have said what a great track it was. Other than the fact that the start, the start finish um, point was in the wrong place on the track, they said it was, it was really, really very good. And yeah, I, I don't know what it looked like on screen. I, said, I haven't even had a chance to watch the highlights reel just yet. Uh, Lots of bits and pieces, lots of news. We'll have the I'll have the link into the show notes for the post race notebook from Sam Smith on eRacing three six five. So you can catch up on all of the little bits and pieces and all of the sort of sub stories that go along with it. It really is one of my uh, one of the favourite little blogs that we like reading about this. One last Formula E story. Uh, and that is oh it's Nissan again gosh one of these days we'll have a really positive Nissan story I, it, it's it's going to be a good one it better be an absolute cracker because it's got an awful lot to make up for 
but that that the Formula E, uh, the Nissan Edams Formula One team uh, have have pointed out how tricky it's going to be for them in the 2019-2020 championship after the FIA has banned uh, twin motor powertrain approaches. Now, there's two parts to this. <laughs> funnily and ironically enough. Uh, the first is that Nissan never actually really declared publicly that it used a two-motor setup uh, in its uh, uh, in its Formula E car. And then they're not very happy about this, obviously, because of course they've got to develop a new power unit in a very short period of time. And also because it's taken them, they've only just managed to fine-tune the two-motor approach uh, so that they, you know, they so that it is it's properly calibrated so that they it all works together it has taken them a long time to tune it uh this season but yes they're going to have to simplify it or buy someone else's whilst they try and develop a replacement and that's all the motorsport news no uh no wrc last weekend uh, naturally there was lots and lots of uh, lots and lots of nurburgring 24-hour news i think i I sort of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook blasted quite a lot of that out at the time. Naturally, there's going to be another podcast uh, coming. I uh, I got a couple of couple of really interesting interviews whilst I was there, and just lots of feeling and race car noises. And I've got about two hours of audio, most of which I think is complete guff. And I'm going to have to trim it right down and try and work out how to put it together to tell the story of what I was doing last weekend. Other than drinking beer and, and standing and sitting around in the sun, which was really quite wonderful uh, with a great bunch of folks. So, uh, so yes, thanks to Hyundai for that. Uh, lunchtime read this week uh, is from Autocar and from the lovely Steve Cropley. Uh, and he said it's taken about a year to a year to set this up. Uh, but he had an interview with Herbert Dice, of course, the boss of Volkswagen Group. Um, and it's interesting. It really is quite interesting. Uh, they just seem to talk cars and stuff and, and, and all sorts of topics, really. Uh, so, yeah, uh, do have a read of that. Link in the show notes. It's, it's on the Autocar site, the Wolf of Wolfsburg Autocar meets Volkswagen boss Herbert Dice. Do have a read of that. It's an interesting way to take 10 or 15 minutes of your lunchtime. Uh, this week's list of the week is, of course, the annual 100 British female rising stars in the car industry from Autocar. Again, the list this year is topped by by a lady called Emma King, who is, is leading the push for electric vehicles uh, within Ford. Uh, if, if you're not interested in the Wolf of Wolfsburg, then do have a read of Profile of Emma King, because it is really, really interesting. Uh, and just her views on uh, on EVs. You know, she's she's very much on the on the purchasing purchasing side. So she's actually the senior purchasing manager for EV battery cells, which is technical in its own right. Um, but do do her have a read of it. Oh, and not just that, she also has a, a Model A and a Model T. Um, so she is a total car person uh, through and through. Do a read of that. A read of, of course, the rest of the list because there's fan. It it's one of these things that each year Andrew and I cover this, and we we feel it's important to cover it, but we also wish we didn't feel we had to cover it. 
because people because um, you know workplace equality is so important that actually was one of the things knowing that this was coming up as, as list of the week this week it was one of the things that really did actually strike me in the pits um, in the pits at the Nürburgring 24 is is that it was definitely not a men were men were in the majority but it certainly didn't seem to be a male dominated uh, a male dominated world I mean there was and I'm not just talking about there was a there was a team which of course was all female Every, everyone in the team were uh, the drivers or the technicians the team management all that that's great but I just mean in all the teams there really was there really were a lot of women involved and a lot of women involved in management and and basically keeping the whole damn thing running which is at least as important as the uh, as the spannering um at the end of the day and and i was pleased to see it, it entered my consciousness just just how many um just how there was much more of a, a a balance of the sexes than i've seen than i've seen previously so yeah so those and that's the list of the week you run through this old section different areas apprentices um yeah all the all the different parts and and well done of course to to autocar oh well well done how condescending i'm so sorry it's great that autocar takes the time and effort to do that list every year i look forward to the day when they don't have to there we are right, i think i dug myself out of that one uh, but <laughs> this week's and finally is probably the kind of thing we'd normally cover on a list of the week but 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 I just really liked it so tough um, it's from motoring research and it's uh, the cars of my Ma uh, of Marcello uh, Gandini and it, yeah don't mention the Mura really some debate there um, but yeah Definitely Mura. Um, definitely don't mention the Mura even. Uh, Alfa Romeo Carabao, Lamborghini Marzal. That was at um, that was at uh, that was at Geneva the year before last, and it's it's amazing the kind of hexagon theme that's in, that's going on there. The the glass doors that go right down the silver leather interior, just proper proper concept car stuff. Um, other delights include the Otto Bianchi runabout, which just looks like everyone's wackiest, uh, wackiest Hot Wheels car. Uh, Fiat X19, which we all know is, is gorgeous. Uh, Lancia Stratos HF0. Remember the original concept? Remember, it's not as if many of us were alive. Uh, the original Stratos uh, concept car with its opening up hatchy front uh, and its distinct lack of side windows or visible noticeable side windows and it's it's just crazy wedgy wedgy wedge shape the ultimate wedge uh, and then of course the the production stratos that followed and the contrast between that and the e12 bmw 5 series so the earliest 5 series a color basically steered bmw's design direction until uh, well until um until Chris Bangle came along, where taking that shark um, that that followed on from the new class and refined and refined and refined, and I know that that it became less sharky, but uh, but but you know the hints were still there right the way through. Just so many great cars: the Countach, the Renault 
turbo, which I didn't realise, but he did the the, the rear end. Uh, but Mark Deschamps is credited for the overall design. Uh, Citroen BX, the five Super Cinq, so that's the the sort of second generation. Uh, ending up with the Bugatti EB110, which I just think is, I, I would choose that as over a Diablo uh, any day. I, I love its lack of showiness, um, and yet just just the fact it looks like a supercar. Just just brilliant stuff. Anyway, go have a look at that. It's motionresearch.com, uh, Marcel Gandini, uh, all his cars. That is really it for this week super snappy uh, but don't forget that between now and next week you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts to the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities don't forget about patreon available at motoringpodcast.com slash support and please leave a review or rating on apple podcast google podcast or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing it really does matter to get in touch with Andrew, search for Cracked Windscreen uh, on Twitter. And to get in touch with me, then Twitter again, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B R A D L E Y. Uh, we will be back next week, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. He who's not with me has been Andrew Close. And safe motoring.